0: and you're just facilitating the behavior change or facilitating some type of change that's happening, whether that's cognitive change or whether that's physical change, you're just facilitating that. And they have the motivation within to help them overcome whatever it is they're facing.
1: So the big question is, how can physical therapists create a successful career earning six figures or more and give patients the care they need without relying on insurance companies for reimbursement? If you want to learn the answers to those questions and more, then you've come to the right place. My name is Dr. Aaron LeBauer, physical therapist, business coach, serial entrepreneur, and author of the Cash PT Blueprint. Thanks for joining me today. Hello, welcome back to the Cash PT Lunch Hour podcast. This is your host Aaron LeBauer, and today my special guest is Joe Tata from the Integrative Pain Science Institute. And Joe has sent me a message, and I've. Actually, messaged with him before, and I actually have, I mean, like whatever, we're Facebook uh, acquaintances, and I've been getting to know Joe and seeing some of the stuff he puts out. And he messaged me recently, and I was like, "Well, I gotta get Joe on the podcast because Joe is an expert in chronic pain, and he is a physical therapist, and he was one of the clinic director of one of the or owner, part owner of one of the largest uh, PT clinics in Manhattan, and uh, he's got some invaluable uh, experience and expertise himself." So. Welcome to the show,
0: Joe. Thanks for being here. No problem, Aaron. It's great to be here and join you.
1: Yeah, and it's great to finally meet you. I know, like, we've had messages go back and forth, and some of the stuff that you share on Facebook, I just totally love. So, but you don't always show up in my feed. So, um, <laughs> I appreciate the information you've been helping people um, with. So, can you just tell us a little bit about, like, what do you do, and uh, like who you are, and like your your two minute who you are, and what you do, and who you help.
0: Sure, I am a physical therapist. Uh, Like you mentioned, I live in New York City. And I help people overcome chronic pain. And I also help practitioners learn biopsychosocial interventions that are missing from PT school or from clinical practice. And I help them implement 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 that into their practice so they can, um, you know, more effectively treat their patients and have better outcomes and a better practice.
1: Right. That's awesome. How did you first get into PT? Was it something like you knew you always wanted to do or it just kind of happened upon you at some point?
0: That's my favorite. You know, it's funny. That's my favorite question. I, you mentioned that I used to own a larger PT practice in Manhattan. So one of my roles there was the practice grew. I was basically responsible for the hiring and training mm-hmm. of PTs. And the first question, it sounds a little like, like super basic, but like, why did you become a phys- why did you want to become a physical therapist? How did you get into physical therapy? But it's really a key question for people because when you're interviewing people and for people who own clinics, you may want to obviously use that question and just think about this. Some people say, Well, I read about it like in Time magazine, and it said one well, is the hot up-and-coming profession, um, or I didn't have to sit at a desk and be on my feet, and all those are important questions. But ultimately, when someone gives you the response that's kind of related to their personal values,
2: mm-hmm. then
0: you're more likely to know that, okay, this is a, a candidate or a hire or a coworker or i um, a co owner that I'd like to be in business with. So right. kind of long, you know, longer backstory on me. Uh, my mom was a registered nurse. She's actually retired now. She's um, 72. Uh, but when I was younger, about eight years old, I watched her go through a um, chronic health crisis, basically. Um, from that crisis, she struggled with not only chronic pain, but she also struggled with anxiety, as well as a little bit of depression. And that went on probably for about two years. Um, my mom was pretty smart though. She didn't really want to engage with like medication or anything like that. So I watched her kind of explore like different things with regard to helping her overcome these, these problems and these challenges. So she did everything between exercise and nutrition and different stress reduction techniques, and of course change her job, which is a big factor. So from that, I was like, okay, I watched someone who was a trained RN kind of get into trouble with regard to her health and then kind of get out of trouble on her own without, you know, the typical um, pharmaceutical interventions necessarily not that the pharmaceutical interventions are are 100% bad, but they're they don't help a lot of people in some ways. So that kind of was like in my back pocket for a long time. In high school, I was a competitive gymnast. So I had like the exercise, you know, component there. And as I started to think about college, PT, which is kind of a natural because it kind of integrated like that exercise health approach from gymnastics, but also like my mom With regard to being in healthcare, kind of Mm -hmm. PT was the perfect blend of those. So that's how I kind of stepped into physical therapy first.
1: Yeah. Did you um, grow up and have any injuries along the way? Or did you just go to, I mean, was it just kind of natural because you saw that your mom's uh, ability to help people as a nurse was like, well, I got to get into this healing profession versus, you know, a lot of people have some kind of injury, whether it's before or during PT school, that PT has made a significant impact as well?
0: Yeah, I had some aches and pains, um, yeah. like most gymnasts and athletes have, but nothing major, like I never tore my ACL or my Achilles tendon or had chronic back pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, th- I think kind of like most of us now, once you're a licensed health professional, people start to come to you with questions. Mm-hmm. What can I do for this? Or I've been struggling with this. And I watched them do that with my mom. So I think there is a aspect of wanting to help people right. and wanting to help people through whatever chronic condition they had that uh, really drew me to physical therapy.
1: Yeah. So when you were doing gymnastics, like, were you like, like super competitive? Or is this just like you like tumbling on the floor being a, and jumping in the phone <laughs> pit? Because I think that's a lot of fun.
0: too. Well, super competitive in two ways. One, I was a level 10 gymnast. So it's kind yeah. of like right before you get to the Olympics. And then, okay, gymnastics for me was always so it is a competitive sport, meaning you compete with other people. But the thing about gymnastics, which is interesting, and I guess this is true for other sports as well, Um, You have to really compete with yourself. You have Mm -hmm. to push yourself in that particular sport, um, both physically as well as mentally. And I think there are a lot of similarities with regard to chronic pain uh, in in that sentence.
1: When you look back on your career as a gymnast, now that you're a PT through your your, uh, eyes right now in 2020, do you look back and go, God, I wish I was doing this or I wish I did that?
0: I wish I had some of the skills I have now when I was competing, especially some of the more mindfulness skills that we'll talk about a little bit later with yeah. regard to act. And some of that has shown up in the training of athletes. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it shows up until college. And, I, and the place to really start that, like with everything related to health, is to start things um, younger. I think people I think- who excel at different types of sports um, have a really unique skill set of obviously both the physical, mm-hmm. as well as the psychological and emotional components that all kind of blend nicely.
1: Right, yeah. I think- it's interesting because, you know, for, I'm a cyclist. So, you know, I, I was a category one, which is right before pro level, though you could be a pro and not make any money in that sport. So it doesn't really matter. Same, same in gymnastics. Right. <laughs> um, but I look back, but like the peak age is much older versus really with gymnastics. It's really, you got to be much younger and maybe that's more training your body. But I, I look back and go, God, I wish I knew these two or three things. I, how much fitter could I be? But really it's, if I knew those and other people knew them, even if they're not in a peak athletic sport, it's how how much healthier could their life be when it boils down to, right?
2: Yeah.
1: What are some of the key things? Um, you know, I want to you know, get into some chronic pain in a second because I've treated a lot of chronic pain patients myself. What are some of the key things that, as physical therapists, we should be doing or encouraging not just with our patients, but with the general public in mind, you know, especially how do we get some of our knowledge to people at a younger age? Like, what's do you do you kind of have an idea like about what your keys are for making that happen?
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of talk about health promotion, and wellness in the world of physical therapy. And when mm-hmm. I went to school, and I graduated PT school, in 1997. It, there was a little bit of that, like in the program, but mm-hmm. not the way it is now. With the three year DPT there's a lot more emphasis on uh, health prevention, wellness, health promotion, those types of aspects. Yet, most of us are used to just working with that person one on one, and even talking one on one, kind of like what we're doing now, like, even my skill set, like I even though I've been doing lots of public speaking now for for, you know, a couple decades, um, I think as physical therapists, we do not hone the skill of public speaking. And with that, like that greater health promotion out into the community. And that's really challenging for all of us as physical therapists, even the physical therapists, I know that do it really well, mm-hmm. and There's a lot of them out there. And I think some of the newer generation with regard to accessing social media, can a little bit more natural, but there's effective ways to public speak and to get in those uh, types of circumstances with regard to public speaking that we still really haven't broken the glass ceiling on yet with regard to um, physical therapists. For example, if you go into a bookstore, mm-hmm. and look at health books, you will see probably the the more, vast majority of them are written by physicians. After that you get a smattering of like PhDs, and uh, maybe nutritionists and then maybe exercise type people meaning like pers- you know, the star personal trainer. Mm-hmm. But there's very, very few books written by physical therapists. And when I um, had a book proposal, which I wrote in 2013, and I brought it around to like major publishers in New York and said, Hey, I think the chronic pain epidemic is about to boom. And I have this, this book right. on chronic pain. This is before opioids. You know, it was the typical, like, what yeah. is a physical therapist? What do you do? Like, oh, yeah, like, can you massage my you, It's about is this book about massage? So <laughs> in my book is a much broader, like integrative approach, but right. there are so many different levels to reaching the public. It's not just like, just having a good instagram account isn't going to do it Mm -hmm. just having a good facebook page probably isn't going to do it there's a number of different kind of levels and uh, steps you have to kind of ascend to, to reach that height and school doesn't prepare you for that i know some of the work that you're doing with people helps prepare them but it's it's just as important to cultivate those skills and maybe more so than actually your clinical skills, depending where you are in your career. Right. Yeah. I was just, when
1: you mentioned it, public speaking, I was like, oh yeah. I was like, that was one of the most valuable classes I took in college was a public speaking class. And I just, it was like this elective thing that we weren't even required to do. And I had to kind of fight to take it, but I've realized like it's all I do right now, that's right. And it's most valuable and people just overlook that. So I do think that it's, I mean, there are a couple books out there, but it's really going to take like mainstream somebody to not only be, you know, have a mainstream voice, but a main you know, multiple, what is it? Like, uh, they have to, have, I think PT, we're going to have to have someone, um, who is it? Stefania Bell, who's an ESPN analyst. Like most PTs still don't even know who she is. She didn't have a book. Maybe, maybe she is someone, you know, some people know, uh, who Kelly Stratton's got a book, but he doesn't have an ESPN slot. You know what I mean? It's gonna take someone with like 10 of these slots to really elevate us out of just doing massage on the side. That's right. That's right? right yeah. um, well, I hope you get there first.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. That's, that's a, it's a good thought, Aaron. Let's hold on to that one. You know,
1: you got a podcast and you got a book and you got a course um, and you're right down the street from the Today Show. So, you know, yeah. you know, if there's anything I can do to help you, just, you know, give me a shout out. Um, Joe, I want to touch touch in on this because I started my career as a massage therapist, right? And so a lot of people came to see me and they would say, Aaron, no one's ever touched me there before. No one's ever uh, touched me or hurt. Like you're the first person. I'm like, so the orthopedic surgeon didn't touch your knee here. Like you're basically like VMO, like they didn't touch the trigger point there. PT didn't do that. Acupuncture. No. And it's, you know, it's, it's not a randomized controlled trial, but it's a, not just an N of one, because I hear this from other people as well. What's, and then as I started my PT practice, I ended up just having people with like just chronic pain. I was, I was as a massage therapist and then as a PT, I was still just like this end of the line, you know, I've tried everything, I'm going to come see you. Now we're not, we've changed our marketing, so we're not just getting um, chronic pain patients that are almost... Unhelpable, but that's where it was let's start with why do you think that's the case why are people showing up on my door and other people's doors with no one's ever done this no one's ever touched me you're the first person to touch me where it hurts and now like i'm i'm getting better or i'm, I'm better because i'm not magic you know and i'm not the only one what why do you think this is like a case here
0: yeah i just want to clarify and kind of yeah. zoom in on that question so the question you're asking is why are people showing up to our clinics, almost as a a last resort? Yep. And then being surprised when they start to find some kind of relief, whether that's symptom relief, or whether that's an improvement in their function. Yes, right? Yes, exactly. I think as PTs, we have to get better at just stating this and people are more than happy to like copy this down or play this back. And it's a bold statement. And there's a place for this statement, but especially with regard to chronic pain that so far with regard to chronic pain, we have had a industrialized medical and pharmaceutical complex Mm -hmm. that has marketed the shit out of, and I'm just going to use that because we're all probably on the same page on this podcast, has marketed the shit out of um, invasive procedures and pharmaceutical medications. Right. And with that, they've destroyed everyone's self-efficacy with that goes along with it. Um, And to some extent um, there's been a um, effective brainwashing of people with chronic pain Mm -hmm. with regard to what their treatment should include as a first line of care. And there's even been, there's even there's some good research and research on this as well. that The pharmaceutical companies have gone into major medical institutions and um, you know, the training of of medical students. And on some level have done the same thing. Now, does that mean that there's no place for medication? Absolutely not. We want to be compassionate in our care. And there is definitely a place for pharmaceutical medications. Oftentimes, it's the lowest dose. And as a last resort. Mm -hmm. Is there a place for surgery? Yeah, there's definitely a place for surgery. And as physical therapists, we can actually improve the outcomes of that. But with regard to chronic pain specifically, We really need to start steering people and this kind of goes back to, you know, not only the work that you and I and everyone's doing here, Aaron, but it goes back to that idea of how do we effectively reach the public and start talking, start talking about this. And we have to get better at saying, hey, here are the safe and effective ways to manage acute as well as chronic pain that are out there and get better at being able to verbalize that and educate that and then promote it kind of on that wider spectrum that you and I were talking about before.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's it's just unfortunate and I just keep getting to these points where people have had surgery, medication, all these other things, but they've never tried physical therapy or physical therapy didn't work. Well, what didn't work was something that's very different than what a lot of us might think was actually physical therapy. Going back to treating people with chronic pain persistent pain fibromyalgia there was one thing and I want I, I think you're probably the first person I've i talked to or at least on this podcast who might un- you know the answer to this I coming out of school I gave all my patients the Oswestry and the NDI and all these things and so okay well I got a lot of people with fibromyalgia so I'll give them the fibromyalgia impact questionnaire I think I gave it to like 6 or 7 people not a single one of them was able to complete it and every one of them took 20 minutes or more to do part of it. What's up with that question there? And does it actually work? Because it's never worked, giving me anything other than an indication that this person has a lot of indecision in their life.
0: So, indecision is an interesting word. When you look at the research around chronic pain and what yeah. happens to you know, an individual or human organism when chronic pain persists, there's a couple of barriers that are thrown in the way of someone. Not only um, helping themselves overcome pain, but also mm-hmm. when, when, a, when a, a patient or a person with pain walks into our practice and we're trained like in this evidence based medicine where we're given these battery of tests for things. You have to keep in mind that there are really good systematic reviews and meta analyses that show when you have chronic pain, your cognitive function is deeply impacted. Right. So that means things like completing questionnaires, like one, you know, five or a 10 question questionnaire might be okay. But now when you have a battery of tests, let's say that the insurance company wants or we feel are effective, there's an aspect there of their cognitive function that they may not be able to necessarily go through that. So you either have to go through it with them or you right. have to kind of break it up for them or give them more time to do it. Um, knowing that anxiety and depression run high in people with chronic pain, mood disorders, just going through those types of questions can be triggering or provoking for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, That's kind of a second one. And then third, it depends on where you live in the country. Um, and and where you are in the world. But health literacy is another big aspect to it. So reading some of those questions that sound um, easy and approachable to you and I who are educated people are not so easy and approachable for people living with chronic pain who have uh, multiple comorbidities and, um, you know, low health education or low health literacy. So just some things to keep in mind. And, you know, as we start to learn more about chronic pain, and we're talking about lots of different ways, integrative ways to treat chronic pain, it makes sense to have a battery of questionnaires, but how you roll those out may be different based on, on the patient in front of you.
1: Right. Is there ever a time where, like, because I mean, this is, if no one's familiar with this, this was like a multi-page, like four or five page no. questionnaire. Like the Oswestry Neck Disability Index are like one page, 10 questions. Like, <laughs> you know, this thing was tough. Like, is there ever a time where you would give this kind of questionnaire to a patient?
0: There's a time, I mean, there's a time to, I mean, of course, look, insurance reimbursement may want mm-hmm. that questionnaire. Yeah. So you have to fill it out. This is, a, this is another uh, thing that I kind of talk to clinicians about specifically. Um, those questionnaires are ob- obviously um, reliable and valid and been studied by um, very wise academic and researchers. Mm-hmm. They aren't necessarily always applicable to clinical practice. Yeah. So with that, if you're a practitioner, you're a busy practitioner, and you obviously have to serve the person in front of you, there is a place to say, okay, I can deal with like maybe one or two of these validated questionnaires that take more time. Mm -hmm. And then I'm gonna make my own questionnaire that is based off of research that I'm gonna modify for my clinical practice and for my patient population. And I'm all for that. So you can have a mix of evidence-based questionnaires um, as well as questionnaires that you develop on your own that are specific for how you treat and the information you want to collect.
1: Right. Right. That's,
0: that's a, a great answer. Thank you. But
1: Joe, I didn't get into this game to be someone's ther- therapist. Like I am their physical therapist. I've got into this to be a physical therapist, not a like mental health counselor. That where's the, you know, with, and, and with everything you just said, like, I know they're there are people out there that have that thought and like, I don't want to treat patients with with chronic persistent pain, but we are almost sometimes the first person that'll sit and listen to them. What are some of the, what are some of the key questions or maybe even things not to ask that we can use in one of our, like our assessment to understand how impactful this person's um, experience of pain is going to be on their kind of health outcomes. Is there a couple key yeah. pieces really, for us? It's a,
0: yeah. it's a really good question. And I, I'll take you kind of one step before that. Yeah. And the step before that is when it comes to chronic pain, if you're, if you're in healthcare, not just physical therapy, mm-hmm. if you're in healthcare, you're going to come across people with chronic pain on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you look at the statistics on chronic pain, they, they're out there no matter what country you're in and they're in your clinic and they want your help and obviously they deserve your help. Um, Even before what questions to ask, I think it's really important that you um, walk into the treatment session, walk into the evaluation with the concept or with the idea that the person in front of you is completely whole and not broken. Mm -hmm. Now, when I say completely whole and not broken, that's very different than what you may have learned in physical therapy school or other types of training. Um, where we're taught to fix or mend, um, or heal people, so to speak. And now we have tools as clinicians that can help people without a doubt. Right. And that's why people come to us and we should use those tools, but kind of interfacing with someone with the idea that they're whole in themselves and you're just facilitating the behavior change or facilitating some type of change that's happening, whether that's cognitive change or whether that's physical change, you're just facilitating that. And they have the motivation within to help them overcome whatever it is they're facing.
1: Mm -hmm. Now,
0: now with that, some of the most important questions, um, revolve around, uh, um, values, Right. right? What someone's personally held values are. So taking the time to clarify cloudy values in someone's life before you set goals for them is the best way to rev up that motivation for behavior change that all of us are looking, um, to strum with regard to uh, clinical practice.
1: That's, a, that's great. Thank you.
0: <laughs>
1: I have like 20 questions in my head, yeah, there's but a whole, we, there's we, a whole lot to we, unpack. In yeah, there. there is, there is Now, I think that, you know, I think, I think a big part of it is, is that a lot of these patients come in, having now been seeing multiple people. Now they identify as, you know, I have a, a physical ailment or a uncurable physical something like so it's not always their body that's holding them back but it's their perception it's the it's the way they see themselves it's the way they're you know it's it's probably that they've been someone and they're and someone gave them goals of getting some range of motion or doing some activity and they didn't even care about that activity they just want to be with their grandkids there's just like this we've missed the boat a lot of times would you say that that's a bigger case with people with persistent pain? Or is that just kind of a case in general, if we're just not paying attention?
0: Yeah, it's a it's a keen observation. It's so think about this way, it's natural. So we know from neuroscience and pain psychology, it's natural if you have pain, as a human, Mm -hmm. to avoid that pain, to try to eliminate it, or to try to control it. And to some extent, that's normal, right? What happens, or the struggle, the 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 place where people become stuck with regard to chronic pain, is, I attempt to control that pain, at all co- at all cost, all day long, and not only do I control that pain, not only am I only focused on pain control, but I stop doing the pleasurable activities and meaningful activities that kind of bring joy and meaning mm-hmm. to my life. And that's where people really get in, into trouble. So when we start to look at um, treatments like we're talking about now, based on acceptance and commitment therapy, which I treat practitioners, is first, how do we start to loosen um, someone's belief that they have to control first the right. pain before they can return back to activities? So that's kind of where we start with that. Okay. And, so, then and as you mentioned, yeah. so those, so let me just kind of continue with that. Mm-hmm. That persistent attempt to control or fix pain, affects how I see myself,
2: right?
0: So at one point, let's say my back, when my back, let's say before back pain, I had a rich, full and active life, I had a job. Um, I let's say I was a school teacher, I had two kids, I was a mom, I was a daughter, I was a best friend. Um, I was a community leader, let's say I led my, uh, my kids Girl Scout troop. So there were all these different contexts or environments, if you will, that I was used to circulating and functioning in once pain started, and once pain became chronic, all that stuff went away, I pushed all that away, because all my efforts focused on controlling pain. So the only context, the only environment, the only um, kind of frame, if you will, that I now see myself in, is someone who has pain, or I am someone who has pain, or I am someone with fibromyalgia. Mm -hmm. In act, it's a a certain uh, psychological process, we call self as context. Now, if I were to ask you, Aaron, just to fill in this statement for me, I am. Mm -hmm. How would you fill that in? I am?
1: Oh, I'm a a father, husband,
0: physical therapist, and a business coach.
1: And I used to race bicycles. (laughs) Right? Yeah.
0: So right there, you said four different contexts. Right. right? And one, you said I used to race bicycles, right? Right. So you no longer necessarily identify with a competitive um, racer. Mm -hmm. But do you still identify with someone who is um, healthy? right or values their health and uses let's say exercise as a form as a way to value their health right right so even if you couldn't continue being a competitive cycler you can still have still somehow touch base with that circle of your life through let's say i don't know a, a weekend competition mm-hmm. or going out and training with your best friend say. Right? and these are the things that we have to get better with with regard to helping people with chronic pain seeing that okay you may have chronic pain you may identify with that but even though you have pain, you can still function in all these different contexts and have a more meaningful life. Right. Versus
1: everyone's like, instinct is almost to shut it all down, or they were told something like, you can never do this again. Oh, I can never do that again. I'll just shut it down. I can live without it. But they, don't, they won't live uh, um, right. a rich life without it. <laughs>
0: that's right. and, that, and that's why I started uh, you know, this conversation with mm-hmm. looking, at, looking at someone as one that their whole Right. And two, the answers reside in them. So their personal values, each of us has, have personal values that are unique to us. No two people have the same exact personally um, held values in life. So if we approach someone as pain is bad,
2: mm-hmm. as
0: a physical therapist, I have to alleviate their pain before they can get back to their activities, or even a certain amount of pain relief has to happen. Before they can return back to activities, then in essence, we're setting up a different context for them, or we're setting up the context of pain is bad; it has to be controlled, eliminated, um, or you know, gotten rid of, so to speak, before any type of meaningful activity or life engagement can can happen again. Now, the one place this shows up with physical therapists often is they ask, "Well, what's the difference between, let's say, pain neuroscience education or pain Mm -hmm. education, and let's say an ACT approach?" Because can education. you explain
1: what ACT is? Because you mentioned it. Yeah,
0: so yeah. ACT is, stands for acceptance and commitment therapy. And it mm-hmm. would, it's a type of psychotherapy intervention or cognitive behavioral intervention that grew out of traditional cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. And it uses some form of mindfulness, behavior change, and acceptance to help people overcome whatever the struggle, whatever. Um, problem they're having in life. It's kind of started out with in the anxiety realm. Mm -hmm. And then we've evolved it with regard to uh, treating chronic pain. So it's a cognitive behavioral techniques, cognitive behavioral therapy, but it's what they call a third generation behavior therapy that um, instead of changing thoughts and beliefs, Mm -hmm. focuses on just allowing thoughts and beliefs and helping people re-engage with life.
1: Right. And, and through, uh, pain neuroscience or pain education, we've, we've adapted and used a lot of things from cognitive behavioral therapy questions and ways to talk about it with our patients. And that's where where that bridge is, right?
0: That's right. So pain neuroscience education or explain pain Mm -hmm. evolved out of psychoeducation. So what psychologists used to use what's or and still use what's called psychoeducation. So psychoeducation is one component one smaller component of traditional cognitive behavioral therapy Mm -hmm. and brilliant people like uh, Adrian Lowe and um, Laura Mosley said, okay, let's take this pain education component and let's build this out into this like entire cognitive approach, if you will. And it was brilliant research and that research needed to be done. Um, There are people who that works wonderfully for, Mm -hmm. and there are people who need other things. It doesn't work so well. So pain neuroscience education or pain education, helps people to um, change their thoughts or to modify um, distorted or maladaptive thoughts around pain and like that that should be done with patients and that may be one component of what you do and then you may start to weave in um, other types of interventions like acceptance and commitment therapy Mm -hmm. which focuses on or trains people on allowing thoughts or observing thoughts without letting it impact your behavior so let's just kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah, let's just let's just kind of kind of dial into that. a little yeah. bit because PTs are interested in this, and they're going to want to know uh, what the difference is. So for example, pain education, you may educate someone that an MRI scan an MRI of their back um, is not the cause of their pain that if mm-hmm. I took an MRI of 100 people on the street, there may be 30 that have a herniated disc, yet they have no, uh, no back pain. So in essence, we're helping them um, reconcile a biomechanical or a biomedical cause of pain right. to more of a biopsychosocial bio-psy- approach. And that may work really well for some people. They may say, oh, that makes sense. Okay, so it's not just the herniated disc. It's other things in my life, like lack of movement mm-hmm. or stress that's contributing. For other people, it may be very difficult for them to um, reconceptualize pain or to adopt those thought, th- that thought process. So in essence, we can help them observe thoughts or notice thoughts. So what we're really saying is that there's a whole slew of research that shows that we're not very good at changing or modifying thoughts. And I want to kind of go through a couple of examples with people. Okay. So, so we can go into this. so um, let's talk about um, deleting thoughts first, mm-hmm. right? So there's no delete button in the nervous system. So how can we demonstrate that? So I want you to do this, Aaron. So I want you yeah. to think about um, a really happy time in your life,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and just let me know when you have that memory oh yeah i got it okay and now as hard as you can with all your might and all of your resources Mm -hmm. i want you to try to delete that memory
1: oh it's not going to happen
0: (laughs) that makes sense i mean who wants to delete a happy thought or happy memory right how about a painful memory do you have a painful memory you can think of yeah a couple yeah a couple right we all we all have them it's part of being human yeah it's part of our experience so just think of that painful memory and mm-hmm. Same thing with which with all your might all of your resources. I want you to try to delete that memory mm. That's make, gonna be go, tough. Make, it, make it go away. Okay mm-hmm. I cannot think about it for years, but it's still in there <laughs> That's right and a lot oh. of times even yeah. even without us knowing there may be situations where that memory pops up So we, mm-hmm. have, we don't really have a good way to delete memories. Um the other thing, a pain is about problem solving. So you can look at the mind as a problem solving machine. Right? a right. so Mind is constantly trying to solve problems. How do I lose weight? How do I become more efficient? How do I get rid of this pain? How do I make money? Right. So the mind will solve will problem solve, especially with regard to pain. So fill in this blank. So what I want you to do is to try not to problem solve for me and see if that's mm-hmm. possible. Okay. So fill in the blank or solve the equation here one plus one equals two. Right. So I want you to try to stop your mind from solving the problem. Yeah. Or stop oh. your mind for just don't mind. even answer. Right? Just don't. Well, you could you, you can answer. But this, let's try this. Eeny, meeny, miny. Uh huh. What does your mind naturally do? It finishes the sentence. Yeah, it finishes the sentence. Yeah. Now if we relate that to pain, a hernia disc at Right. What comes up when I say that? Oh, a pernid disc at which level? That's right. So what level? Or you might initially, you might automatically say L4, L5 or L5, right. S1, because that's what we commonly see um, on x-rays or MRI scans. So, mm-hmm. so basically, the mind is constantly problem solving. When you have chronic pain, even with the best pain neuroscience education or pain education, your mind will naturally try to solve a problem. And then we try to like, distract people with different techniques. So let's talk about distraction for a minute. Mm-hmm. So what I'd like you to do, Aaron, is try not to think about a yellow chimpanzee. <laughs> right. <laughs> so for the next 30 seconds, I'm gonna time you. Oh, let's, we'll do 15 seconds. For the okay. next 15 seconds, don't think about a yellow chimpanzee. All right. And if you do think about it, just note it and just count how many times you think about it. Well, I'm gonna look at the thing so I don't think about it. So if you're watching this on YouTube, I'm looking down because I'm trying not to think about the
1: whatever Joe's told me not to think about. It.
0: I'll give you 10 more seconds. Yes. So how'd you do with not thinking about a yellow chimpanzee? Not very good. Right. And you know, we have this with pain too. People say, well, put the pain out of your mind or don't Mm -hmm. think about it. Or here are some ways to distract from pain. So traditional cognitive behavioral therapy that many psychologists and some PTs even use, we teach people to distract from pain. And oftentimes that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. so let's let's do this for for a second aaron what i want you to do for the next 30 seconds and you don't have to close your eyes or anything you can leave your eyes open or you can close your eyes it's up to you i want you just to notice the flow of your thinking mm-hmm. and just notice what you're thinking so everyone at home can do this with us so we, eyes open or eyes closed just notice the flow of thoughts first for about 10 seconds
2: And now as you're noticing the
0: flow of thoughts, I want you to notice if those thoughts are positive, if those thoughts are negative, or if those thoughts are neutral.
2: And then notice how frequently they change
0: even without you prompting them. Mm -hmm. Now what we have here is a perfectly normal functioning human mind that's the way all of our minds work. They problem solve, they evaluate, they think all day long, whether you have pain or whether you don't have pain. So pain education has its place and I encourage people to use that, especially on the initial evaluation. But if you find that that's not working and you're so fused to that idea that I have to change someone's thoughts you actually don't have to. Mm-hmm. There are third wave cognitive behavioral interventions like acceptance and like commitment therapy that teach people just observing those thoughts or gaining some distance from those thoughts is just as effective as changing thoughts. So let's do this, Aaron. So you have there's lots. Of, so what I'm talking about it, it essentially is what's called cognitive diffusion in ACT, and it's a way instead of changing thoughts, just allow thoughts or notice thoughts. So you have a post-it note there, right? Yeah. So I want you to just take one negative thought about yourself. We all have them, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And just write that one negative thought down. So that one word, and everyone can do this at home. If you have a piece of paper or a post-it note or an index card, just write that thought down. You have it there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I want you to kind of hold that thought up to your face. I want you to look at it really closely. So you can see it, right? Oh, yeah. And I want you to just, in your own mind, repeat that negative thought nice and slowly you have to tell us what it is just repeat it in your mind nice and slowly
2: and just feel what that's like so feel what happens in your body feel what happens in your mind just notice what emotions are
0: attached to that and then what i want you to do is i want you to kind of take that thought on that post-it note and I want you to stretch your arm out. I want you to look at it from far away. Yep. So hold your arm straight out, about shoulder height. Right. There you go. And now do the same same thing. Look at that thought, and just notice if it's different now. That
2: it's mm-hmm. even further away. Yeah. And now I want you to turn it
0: upside down. And if you can, if you're near a wall or a desk, put that note, post-it note on the desk or the wall, and I want you to step even further away from it. So you can still see it, but now you have some distance from that thought. Right. So you're not caught up in it. It's not right in your face at all times. A little bit further, it's upside down now. And does that thought feel like it's any less distressing or has oh, it right. lost a little bit of its punch, so to speak?
1: Yeah, I don't want to throw it in the trash as much anymore.
0: <laughs> you're right, that's right. Now, what I'd like you to do is come back to that thought. Yeah. And I want you to kind of fold it up. It's like a little square. I want you to put it in your back pocket. Let me know when it's in your back pocket.
2: All right. It's in my back pocket.
0: Now, I want you to think about someone really important in your life, the most important person in your life. Just let me know when you've kind of connected to that person yeah got it comes up pretty fast right now would you be willing to have that thought if the activities you did in your life connected you in a more meaningful way to that person Mm -hmm. would you be willing to even carry that thought around with you all day long every day if it meant you can connect more deeper with that person who's important to you oh yeah now I don't know what your thought was, but no matter what the negative thought is, whether it's about a personal evaluation, whether it's about chronic pain, whether it's about your self evaluation about chronic pain, what we did was called cognitive diffusion. So we took that thought and we changed the form and the function of that thought in essence. So Aaron, that thought may come up again, but now you have a simple way to kind of gain some distance from that thought. We've changed the meaning and the almost the association. That's right. 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 So right. instead of changing the thought, instead of worrying about how do I get rid of this thought or how do I make that thought come up less frequently, I've given you a way to, to change your relationship to that thought. And that's what we have to do more and more mm-hmm. as physical therapists when we find that changing thoughts and beliefs about pain are not working in our patients. Great. Is this,
1: that's great. Is this kind of like when the patient who's, they've had persistent pain for a long time. Now they finally are doing some activity. Yeah, activity is not harmful or dangerous but their body's not used to it and it's just telling them like you're in pain you're in pain you're in pain you're in pain and we have to re-educate them that that's really your body just saying hey you're you're walking and you're tired now i've always told people like well, it's kind of like um the the signal is kind of is kind of mixed up it's like your body's not used to it and sees it as a threat but it's really like that's just like post-exercise soreness and you're not used to doing it ex- or Experiencing it after ten minutes of walking, you were used to doing that after experiencing it after an hour of CrossFit. But we have to kind
0: of move it along. Is that kind that's of that's right? So, so pain is pain. Uh, pain essentially is about protection. Yeah, yeah. Your mind, because it problem solves and evaluates and judges things, is always concerned about pain, whether it's acute pain or chronic pain. So, in essence, it's like you have this protector within your mind, and when you start to progress your exercise or improve your range of motion, or potentially do an exercise that you hurt yourself doing that protector starts to really chatter a lot and talk. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that protector sounds like a little grandma, right? It's like, Oh, Aaron, Aaron, just be careful. Don't hurt yourself, Aaron. Sometimes that protector is a little more like a bully. Mm -hmm. if you do that, you're gonna hurt yourself. And I'm gonna hurt you if you do that. Sometimes that protector is a little bit more um, like a physical therapist, that says, right. hey, before you do that, let's make sure this is okay. Let's get it checked out by a doctor. Let's get an x-ray. Let's get a scan. Let's get evaluated. So there's lots of different types of um, personalities, if you will, that this protector within can adopt and can develop with regard to pain. And each of us has kind of like our own protector within. So you can name that person. You can give that person a name. Mm-hmm. You can identify if that person or that, um, that, that essence, if you will, is male or female. And then the third way is what type of voice do they have? Is it that compassionate, consoling type of voice? Or is it more like that bully inside? So there's lots of different ways to, that's what's called humanizing the mind to help people realize that, okay, I have this mind. It's gonna chatter away, it's gonna talk, it's gonna evaluate. And how are some ways that I can relate to it differently? That's awesome. Wow, Joe, that's great. So um, before we finish up, I'm gonna
1: just ask is there anything that um i forgot to ask you that you think would be valuable not not so not not none that i have but if you have <laughs> more
0: questions i'm good
1: <laughs> okay um do you have some resources for uh people uh, about act and you know, the acceptance and commitment therapy or i think you also have like a program coming up is there a place where they can find that information
0: yeah i mean i have some free resources so if you go mm-hmm. to the com and scroll over to the courses tab and scroll down. There's some things that say free training. You can find um, an ACT guidebook. So it talks about how physiotherapists can implement ACT. Um, There's also a free one-hour webinar you can watch there. And I do have a longer seven-week training with coaching calls and mentorship after it. It's called ACT for Chronic Pain. That's a course. um, You can can find that course by going to the the URL, which is integrativepainscienceinstitute.com forward slash act so that's forward slash act and you can access that course page there
1: awesome and for anyone listening we'll make sure we have that information in the show notes joe do you have a preferred social media
0: platform where you like to connect with people um facebook is great you can just find me at uh, dr joe tata on okay facebook. A- t-a-t-t-a that's right. All right there you go all right
1: joe well thank you so much for being here i want to respect your time we got to um hop off the show and I, like, I could ask you 25 more questions, but you know, we'll have to do that another time. I look forward to meeting you in person sometime. And thank you so much for being here and spending your time with us today. I really appreciate it. This is insightful for me, and I hope for you know, thousands of listeners as well. Thanks, Aaron. Great being with you. Absolutely. So, this is the Cash PD Lunch Hour podcast with Dr. Aaron LeBauer and Dr. Joe Tata. I now forgot what I was going to say so because Joe helped me delete that memory, but I'll see you guys on the next show. If you got anything out of this, please um, give us a shout out on social media, Facebook, Instagram stories, and we'll see you next time. Appreciate it. Hey, what's up? It's Aaron. Real quick, if you're just starting a cash-based physical therapy practice or you already have one and you want to learn how to grow it and scale it, this is for you. I just released my brand new book, The Cash PT Blueprint. Because I want to get this book in the hands of every physical therapist out there. I want to give it away to you for free. All I ask is that you pay a little bit of shipping and handling, and you'll not only get the steps to create your own cash practice, but the tools to grow it and scale it beyond what everyone else thinks is possible. To snag your copy right now, go to cashptblueprintbook.com. That's C-A-S-H-P-T B l u e, p r i n t b o o k dot and we you get your copy. Give me a shout out somewhere on social media, and we'll talk to you soon.